Hello listeners, welcome to our latest Now or Never episode. We have an absolute treat for you today. Today we listen and learn from Erin Gleeson, a Marlins Improvement teacher at Box Hill High School. Box Hill is located in Inner East Whitehorse Network with a 0.18 SFOE. I'm going to be upfront with this podcast and we'll just say this. If you don't get anything useful or don't feel inspired by what Erin is saying, I can confidently say that you must have had the sound down. I've had the pleasure of working with Erin each term and every time I listen to her, I learn something new. Erin has been at Box Hill High School for 13 years and in this podcast, she explores how the science of reading has changed her teaching practice for the better. You can hear the passion in her voice and appreciate the research and hours of professional learning she undertook to get to this stage in her career. Chris Dosser, Carly McGrath, Mandy Goff, and myself, Claire Hanley, the secondary Sams for Never, thoroughly enjoyed being in the presence of Erin. Without further hesitation, let's welcome Erin to our podcast. Hi, Erin. Thank you for your time. I'm just going to get straight into it. Erin, you are a passionate English teacher and the science of reading informs parts of your teaching practice. When did this become a focus for you and what does science of reading look like in practice? Sure, thank you. Um, so it's probably only in the last six years that it's become a real focus of mine and something I've even really been aware of and trying to use in the classroom and in our programs here. So I sort of stumbled across it because a, a friend's son was getting diagnosed with dyslexia and starting some processes of getting some intervention. And so she would speak to me about things where she sounded better informed about the science of reading than I did. And I was kind of horrified by that and felt guilty that I didn't know a bit more about it, um, which I realize now is a really common experience for people as they start to explore the science of reading and particularly for English teachers as we find out more about it. Um, because it hadn't been present in my initial teacher qualification. Um, and so it didn't really feature in my first few years of teaching. And then once I became a bit more aware of things like phonemic awareness and phonics, uh, I started doing some PD in those areas. And most of that was targeted at primary schools and looking at how to introduce systematic synthetic phonics in like foundation and grade one and two. But then I started to realize that as my understanding grew about particularly phonics, uh, I realized that was what was causing a lot of the reading problems in the students I was seeing in year seven and eight and starting to work out that, you know, I had probably assumed that these students came to high school with reading abilities and they could come in and, you know, it was my job to really push that and get them reading really complex texts. I hadn't considered it was part of my job to teach them uh, the mechanics to read in the first place. So that was a big eye opener. And it's since then that we've really started incorporating it more into, particularly into our intervention programs. Uh, and through our intervention teachers, but starting to really get that to spread through to our classroom teachers as well, so that they're able to start to see some signs that make them think, oh, actually maybe this student um, hasn't really mastered that um, connection between the sounds and the letters, and that might be what's slowing down their reading progress. So in terms of what that looks like, um, it's a few different things. So we've, we now do, um, take a systematic synthetic phonics approach through a couple of programs. So we use Little Learners Love Literacy 
but um, we actually explore a couple of different programs and use some supplementary materials as well. And that's for our students. Mostly we pick them up in year seven who um, either they, some of them have undiagnosed dyslexia, some have diagnoses and just need some more work in that area. Um, and some just didn't get the explicit evidence-based instruction that they needed. And so they've just got a few little gaps. And if we provide that now, um, they, those ones really take off very quickly and it's exciting to see that progress. Um, but then we also have, um, I guess it informs just our evidence-based approach to other elements of reading and to writing. Um, so looking at the morphology of words and really teaching students to be code breakers and uh, giving them the skills to see the patterns in language. I mean, sometimes our students talk about, oh, but I know in English, like we don't follow the rules and there are, you know, spell there's all these spelling exceptions. But then when you actually teach the spelling patterns and the way that words are build, built using morphology, it's really empowering. And students suddenly think, oh, you know, a word that I might look at and go, no, I've never seen before. I now have some strategies to start to work out what that word, firstly, how I might say it, but secondly, what the meaning might be behind that word as well. Um, and so seeing those kind of light bulb moments where students realize that English and literacy isn't just this mysterious thing that happens to them, but it's something that they can um, take a bit more control over and, and build their toolkit so that they've got different approaches. That's something that's exciting about doing that morphology work. And I guess the two of the things that's really had a big impact on my teaching and on the work we do is looking at the simple view of reading so that reading comprehension is a combination of decoding and linguistic comprehension. And so that's what helped us identify that we had this group of students who it was actually the decoding that wasn't working and those students, it was phonics um, that was a really big part for them. And then looking at the Scarborough reading rope and looking at all of these different intertwined skills that all have to work together to create proficient reading. Uh, that has been huge actually, because there's some really key components of that, like background knowledge, vocabulary, um, that our classroom teachers, particularly of other subjects, that's where they can really shine and, and do um, some great literacy work with their students. And seeing that that has a huge impact on their students' uh, reading comprehension. So getting science teachers and humanities teachers to explicitly teach the vocabulary and the background knowledge and suddenly these kids who they thought were a bit disengaged or um, you know not having to go at the work uh, they have the tools now to get really involved and to be excited as excited about science and humanities as they should be because they're such great subjects <laughs> um, so I guess yeah that's where we've started from science of reading and that's the, the parts that we're really implementing a lot and then something that we focus on is that um, there's so much research and evidence out there um, about how reading develops, but that that's, it's still emerging and there's still more meta-analyses being done. And so realizing that what we do now is best practice as we know it, but we might have to keep adapting as we find out more and that that's okay. And um, as long as we're staying open to what are the interventions and strategies that have really promising kind of results for students and um, good evidence base, then we can keep adapting and evolving with that. Um, we don't have to know all of the answers straight away. Mm, that sounds really exciting. And it's great to hear that um, 
it sounds like students are continuing to have that light bulb moment as they're mm. learning, um, which just creates the engagement straight away. So yeah, that's really exciting to hear about. Thank you for that, Erin. Hi, Erin, Mandy here. Quick follow-up question from your answer. Um, what assessment tools do you use to really pinpoint those phonics gaps for students? I have schools consistently asking me about yeah. assessment tools that are applicable to secondary students. Yeah, that's a great question because that is one of the biggest challenges is finding um, resources that are age appropriate um, when you're looking at some of those earlier, usually earlier developing skills like phonemic awareness and phonics knowledge. So we're just trialing some different ones at the moment. We're careful whenever we trial a new assessment like that to just go to, we use Spelled quite a lot and Spelled um, S-P-E-L-D South Australia. Their website has a great resource about evidence-based um, assessments and phonics program and it will tell you you know this is one is peer-reviewed and this is the effect size it comes or this one's from a meta-analysis and I guess that's one of the things that had slowed us down previously that um, if we're going to use an assessment with a student we want to feel confident it's going to give you valuable information because this group of students we work with often they get lots of assessments to do lots of people ask them just this short test just this short thing to let me screen this for you. And um, they get, you know, it's pretty fatiguing. And unless it moves directly to something that's going to impact positively how we teach those students and what they do next, we're pretty cautious about um, implementing things like that. Um, but the last one, yeah, we're finding really valuable um, as a, a phonics screener. And then the phonemic awareness we use. Um, I just always go to anything from Kilpatrick. His work is great. Um, and um, yeah, we use his program, but we generally don't have as much, we don't have as many students who it's um, phonemic awareness um, problems with their reading. It's usually the phonics knowledge that we find. Great, thanks Erin. And it, I guess it does lead into the next question, which is around the Victorian literacy learning progression. So mm -hmm. as the Mylands Capability Builder and Direct Support Teacher, how have you used the learning progression to build your intervention model? Yeah, you're absolutely right. It does lead on to that because I should have mentioned we do use that as well. So um, the literacy learning progression is like I find it such an incredible resource and one that I've only discovered fairly recently. Um, but because it is, um, the way I had it explained to me, which I loved was that, so the Victorian curriculum is like, if we get a bunch of really experienced expert English teachers together and say, you know, what do you teach at year eight, nine and 10? And what should that look like? And which are the, the skills that feel right for that group? Um, and we have, you know, uh, the Victorian curriculum from that. And then the Victorian literacy learning progressions is like if we get developmental psychologists and neuroscientists and um, linguistic specialists and we say, how does uh, how do literacy skills develop um, and what's the sequence that they usually develop in? And so that element means that it's fantastic for, um, I guess, being a screening or a di diagnostic tool to say, um, do I see evidence that these students can um, you know, demonstrate these skills in their classes and because um, it's broken down into um, reading skills and decoding skills and vocabulary skills and um, fluency. So we can look at each of those different strands within the progressions. And the other way that we use it is 
to frame our individual interventions. So we don't, we haven't used kind of commercial intervention products as much at Box Hill High School. It's something that we're looking into in terms of whether there's a group of students that that would be the best fit for. But what we've done more of is individual intervention. And so the literacy learning progression is fantastic for that because it's a developmental framework. We can identify students zone of actual development um, along that framework. And then it really clearly in increments steps out, well, this is the next step for this student. Um, and writing SMART goals around those um, is something that has really changed the way we deliver intervention because we're seeing that rather than just throwing more experiences at students, like, you know, nice literacy-based experiences, we're being much more targeted in terms of this sequence of lessons on this particular skill. Um, and it also allows us to track um, their progress along the Victorian literacy learning progression um, as well. So um, it's been a really useful resource for our intervention teachers and our tutors. Um, it's not something that all of our English teachers kind of use in their classrooms. Um, it's more for this kind of intervention work that we do with our Myland students, um, but really valuable for that. And for anyone who I think is just starting out looking at this kind of literacy development or the science of reading, it's a great resource for um, starting to get your head around all of the different skill components of reading and writing. Mm, that's great how you've been able to um, use that within your intervention um, model. That's really terrific for the students and for um, the teachers to engage with that as well. How do you communicate the learning growth of your intervention students with other teachers? Um, and do teachers implement the strategies that work um, from the intervention um, into their classrooms? Yeah, this is a space that I guess we're still um, working on quite a lot because we see how important it is that um, a lot of these students in their English classes don't get to see their own progress. And um, because they're working on really big skills or big topics, and maybe they, you know, they don't have some of those foundational skills they need, or they don't get quite as many repetitions on a skill as they need. Uh, they can feel like they're just always behind. And even if they demonstrate progress over the course of the year, if, I mean, we use developmental rubrics, but they may feel like they're always stuck in that working towards level. Um, and they never get to see themselves kind of breach that kind of um, barrier into the at expected level, which can be so disheartening, especially because uh, I know that like when I think of the group that I work with this year, like they work so hard. They work, you know, twice as hard as some students just to get these little incremental gains. Mm -hmm. And so we want to celebrate those ga gains as much as we can because it's so motivating when you finally see, oh, I couldn't, I couldn't use conjunctions. So I was always writing in simple sentences and now I can use three conjunctions and I know how to use them and I can punctuate those sentences accurately. Like that's actually phenomenal. That's huge improvement for these students. And if we just measured them against the rubrics and the assessments that we use in our English classes in year seven, eight, nine, we would never celebrate that. So um, that's part of our job is working out how do we, we celebrate it in, in the intervention program itself, but how do we also share the, those goals and those gains so that 
our other teachers are alert to the fact that that's what they should be looking for in these students' work. And um, when they walk past one of our Milan students and see the work they're doing, we want them to be able to look at that and go, oh, I can see that you've used um, your conjunction there and you've punctuated that sentence. Well, I know that was your goal that you're working on at the moment and that's fantastic to see great work. That feedback is um, so relevant and timely and motivating. So some of the things that we're doing to make that happen now are that um, the SMART goals that we have the students working on in the intervention program, they run, when it's working ideally, they work in like a five to six week cycle. So that's how long the goal lasts. And that is communicated to their teachers in all of their other subjects so that they, um, those teachers know this is the skill that we are focusing on at the moment. Um, and then they, those teachers get updates on how that skill is tracking. So at the end of that cycle, they would get an update on whether it was completely mastered or whether it's still a consolidating skill. Um, and I try to attach student samples to that as well. I found that when teachers can actually see an example of, you know, prior to intervention and then what they're doing now, it makes it so much more real and relevant for teachers. And they know what to look for because also I'm sending this out to, um, you know, teachers of every subject. So if I just said, oh, we're working on, um, you know, subordinating conjunctions, um, some of the other teachers might be like, okay, that's great, good, good for you. Um, <laughs> so I, I guess a benefit of communicating these goals and the strategies is that um, we do that in accessible language and um, it helps to, I guess, upskill some of our other teachers in these literacy demands as well. Um, and which is great because now I have, um, even this week, we've got a couple of teachers who want to um, have some of their assessment tasks kind of annotated or analysed for the literacy demands of the task that they are asking their students to complete. Um, and they're wanting to learn that meta language because often our intervention students actually have, they have better understanding of the meta language of uh, literacy in English than, um, you know, some of our other students and sometimes some yeah. of our teachers and they have mm -hmm. to be upskilled like that in order to take control of their learning. Um, and now it's starting to filter out into other classes, students and teachers, which is pretty fun. That's amazing. Can I jump in just for one second, Erin, uh, and kind of build upon that a little bit more? And as you said, uh, ensuring that the students are celebrating those successes, those wins, those gains, that growth, absolutely, sharing that with a teacher. How do you then possibly go about sharing that with the parents as well? Because from their perspective, always seeing, as you said, you know, working yeah. towards, but we're still seeing growth, there's success there. Yeah. How do you go about, um, how do you guys go about doing that? Yeah, that's a great question. So. Um, when we report to those SMART goals, we send that out to parents at the same time. So the parents know the individual skills that their child are working on, or is working on, and um, and then we send out update reports on that. And when we do that, we also um, send like, oh, and here's an idea for what that could look like at home if you're working right. on it, um, or if they have study time that's not allocated at the moment. This is an activity or a resource that they could be using. So um, often those are vocabulary based learning activities um, because that's something that our parents uh, feel more comfortable to uh, do with their children at home than some of the sort of sentence construction level work uh, for some of these 
parents that that's feeling a little bit out of their comfort zone. Um, so we try and, and send it that way. We're really lucky that the, well, I feel lucky that the Myland students that we have at the moment, their families are really want to be involved and uh, want to know all of this information. And so quite a few of them um, email fairly regularly as well, just to find out what's happening. Or um, if I mention in my um, email update to them, sort of what we're working on, they say, oh, that's great. Can you send me a copy of the vocabulary sheet you referenced there? And so they're asking for all of that as well. And what we're trying to look at now is how we, um, hopefully with some relaxing of COVID restrictions and things, um, how we invite these parents into our school, like our physical school, school space mm. a little bit more as well, so that they can be more familiar with um, even just where our classroom is that the Mylands work operates in and um, see the resources we have and feel really com comfortable to um, enter the school space and ask questions and, and get support. And um, some of our parents, some of the students in our program, English is an additional language for them. And so we're also looking um, to partner with AIMS who have an office near us, um, the Adult Migrant Education Service. Uh, and they're looking at running conversation um, programs with the parents so that we can get them feeling comfortable to support their kids too. Because sometimes what they say is, oh, my child's English and literacy skills are better than mine. And so I, I don't know how to help. So we're trying to work in that space a little bit as well. Excellent, Erin. Very exciting. It sounds sounds amazing. Uh, apologies for interrupting, Claire. Mandy, back over to you guys. <laughs> Thanks, Chris. Now that was a really good question. And Erin, um, you're such a busy lady with all that you've described so far, but you're even busier because you are completing your Masters of Learning Intervention. Specific Learning Difficulties is the tag um, of that qual at Melbourne Uni. So what have you gained from this course and how has it helped or how will it help improve your teaching practice or leadership in improving literacy across the curriculum? <laughs> That's a big question too. It is a big question. Um, <laughs> Um, it's been incredible. It's by far the best thing I've done in my career um, doing this qualification. Um, and uh, I'm lucky that it's through a department grant to um, study um, inclusive education and those grants are still available. So people should definitely get on them. Um, it's So when I started learning about science of reading, that was just through some PD um, that I did through school. And then this course has taken that to a whole other level. And it really focuses on students who, even with really great evidence practice, um, really great informed teaching practice in classes, are not having the gains that we would expect otherwise. And then starting to work out, okay, well, if that's the case, what could be going on for these students? And what are some of the, the potential blockers that are making uh, this learning harder for them? And so, I guess what was a surprise to me was that learning about what happens when it doesn't work. So when a student has dyslexia and reading and writing don't just come naturally has taught me so much about the, you know, the normal progression that happens for lots of students. So it's increased my knowledge about um, what learning looks like for most students, as well as what it looks like when there is a learning difficulty going on. Um, and that's had a huge impact on the number of students we're identifying now who have um, other learning 
things happening for them that's making it harder. So when we pick up students who have undiagnosed dyslexia or um, learning about dyscalculia, so I'm not a math teacher, but we do a numeracy element to that and it's, that's been fascinating. And um, because I work closely with our Mylands numeracy leader, um, it's great getting to have those conversations and looking at uh, the work we do there as well. Um, and I guess a lot of what the course is offered is around how to interrogate data, like so the student learning data, how to make plans for student learning growth based on that, and also how to be critical around what kind of programs we let come into our school. Because unfortunately, it's a space where there's lots of companies making a lot of money out of different things that might not have an evidence base. And so, yeah, we're just trying to be really cautious that anything we offer our students, we want to feel confident that it that this is the best use of their time and it's going to have the best possible results for their learning um, and also the best use of our school's money because in all government schools, money is a precious resource when you're spending it on, um, yeah, interventions and resources and things like that. Like we want to know we're going to get bang for our buck. Um, and else has it taught me? I mean, just connecting in with so many other teachers who are really interested in um, intervention and supporting students who are struggling with parts of their learning. Like I now have teachers at our local primary schools and our feeder school and some other high schools in our area who we can share this kind of resource and knowledge with. And, and now that we've got Mylands as well, it's just building that connection and those communities across schools where we see that um, we can share this knowledge and resource and work together um, to yeah, obviously try and optimise learning for this group of students. Okay, thanks Erin. So we have some a question from our listeners. Physical manipulatives can support our Myelin students to make connections and build on their understanding. What manipulatives do you use in your intervention model? We love manipulatives. <laughs> so um, we try to use as many as we can and I'm finding, I'm a bit jealous that our numeracy Mylands, um, people seem to find so many more fun ones than we find. Um, so some of them we make ourselves, <clears throat> but um, some of the ones that my students love we used this morning were um, just word building dominoes. So um, they just have base words and prefixes and suffixes all separated out in different colors. And um, whenever we do morphology work, um, we start with those because I think kids are some, or students are sometimes, you know, a bit hesitant or reluctant to just put pen to paper and, you know, work out how to spell a word themselves or how to build a word or could I use the prefix un for this word or does it only work with a different word? Um, whereas when they've got dom coloured dominoes in front of them, they're happy to mix and match and play and swap and then put words together and go, is this even a word? And ask each other questions like that. Um, it just brings the play back in which um, I was a bit nervous at first because obviously these are high school students and I thought like, oh, I don't want this to be too babyish for them. But um, yeah, I'm really lucky. My students are happy to have a go at anything. I mean, obviously we end up playing dominoes and like building towers and they like to see the biggest tower they can build. So we have to limit <laughs> the distraction time of that. But um, they really get into it. And, um, and then we have sentence building dominoes as well, uh, where again, they're all color coded and I guess I underestimated how much work we would end up doing on word classes and um, clauses, subject verbs and conjunctions. Uh, 
Whereas, you know, as I, I guess it came back to those literacy learning progressions, I started to see that that was actually one of the biggest challenges for lots of our students is that they, if I said, oh, why did you put a comma or a full stop there? They had no answer. <laughs> or their answer was, oh, I think it's something to do with when you take a breath. Um, and I realized I couldn't intervene and do a learning sequence to help them improve their use of compound or complex sentences unless they understood a clause and unless they understood the purpose of a joining word or a conjunction and with the dominoes the great thing is that because all the verbs are one color and all the nouns are one color like i've got a student and he's beautiful and he um, writes in run-on sentences so he can have a whole paragraph of one sentence and the other day he created a sentence with all the dominoes and then he said to me miss i think we've got a problem and i said oh what's going on and he's like oh i have got five verbs and five nouns and only one joining word. So this one is not a sentence, is it? I'm like, absolutely. But because it's color coded, he can see um, exactly where his clauses are and where his verbs are and he can identify those. And so for him learning to punctuate has been so powerful. And, um, and again, the students are willing to have a go at making a sentence when it's just dominoes that they know are impermanent they're going to just be shuffled and moved away whereas if i for some of my students if i said all right have a go at writing me a compound sentence right now uh no thanks <laughs> no uh, they don't want to do that but put a bunch of colored dominoes in front of them and ask them to do it then they will um so we use those but then um as i said we make a lot of our own just in terms of making fragments or um full sentences or phrases and laminating them and cutting them out and getting students to move them around and looking at um, the way reordering words within a sentence changes the meaning of the sentence. And that's been really powerful for them to see. And I, I think that grammar and syntax sounds so boring when um, you say that's what you're going to be working on today. But when you're just shuffling words and phrases around and then you're talking about, wow, if I move um, you know, these three words from the beginning and put them in the end, my whole sentence has changed. Um, that stuff has been really valuable for the students and um, and I, we definitely see an improvement, like the sentence level work has been an area of real growth from the, for them this year. Um, and I think the manipulatives of getting to play with the words in a stress-free way where they don't feel they're about to be you know, no red pen is about to come out and cross out their words and put punctuation in and fix it. It's just about having to go and playing and really fostering that understanding that nobody writes a beautiful sentence the first time and nobody writes a beautiful mm -hmm. paragraph the first time that I think many of these students, they didn't really understand that this was part of the process. They thought other students can just write and they can't. Whereas starting to see that actually you know, making mistakes, fixing things, moving things around, that is what a writer does. Um, that's that's actually kind of, that's the skill of being a writer is being able to pre-plan and edit. But we would love more manipulatives. So <laughs> if there are people who are like, we found this great resource, we would love more of them. We do, we've got magnetic punctuation marks as well so that we can write um, sentences up on boards and then um, move all the punctuation around and do those any yeah the students really love it and um, we're finding more and more ways to incorporate them into our into our lessons which is fun fun for us as well that's amazing um thank you so much Erin it's hard um 
not to listen to you and just want to go out there and do some researching. <laughs> you make me, every time I listen to you, you make me want to be a better literacy leader and I feel slightly inadequate <laughs> around you as well. Um, luckily, we're not in the same room, but I think for this podcast, we'll pretend that we're in the same room. Um, <laughs> Um, but yeah it's just absolutely amazing um listening to um your passion and the research that goes behind um every decision that you make for our students um and to really see how they have improved and they can actually see their growth. They don't need a rubric at the end to try and work out, did I actually improve with what you have implemented? Um, they can see it almost every day. Um, so it's just phenomenal to listen to you. And I'm sure um, there's going to be people out there listening to this um, that will want to be in contact. I'm thinking please, that, please do. Yes. <laughs> I'm thinking that, you know, a, a quick way to um you see your amazing work is to do a learning walk. But mm. just for the um teachers out there who are who like me, okay, I want to learn more about this after I listen to this podcast, what would be a first step? What would be um a professional learning or a reading or something that could get them started, do you think? Oh, that's a great question. So much. Um, well, I've just ordered the book Writing Revolution, which so many of my colleagues yeah. have um, recommended to me. And I haven't even read that yet, but I keep hearing wonderful things. Yeah. Um, and what would be great? I mean, I feel like send me an email and I'll um, I'll share my reading list and then you can share yours and whoever you are and we can um, work it out from there. It depends what the the interest area is but I just think there's so much more out there now and so even if you just google science of reading um in Melbourne like there's Facebook groups of um all us literacy nerds getting together and talking about um which resources and strategies are working for us um and absolutely the scholarships are still available for the courses and um they're at Melbourne Deakin Monash like there's a few different ones depending on people's interest area and I have I've just found it incredible. So I'd highly recommend that as well. Um, and yes, yeah, a learning walk too. That sounds like fun. Yeah. But we, we do, we have a very open policy here at Box Hill High School. So come in, like come visit us when we're legally allowed to and um, <laughs> and drop a, yeah, drop by. We love having visitors. Fantastic. That's really exciting. Thank you very much, Erin. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed listening to Erin Gleeson at Box Hill High School. She is definitely an experienced literacy teacher and we value her thought-provoking ideas on developing literacy interventions to support our Mylan students. Like many of our podcasts, our guests offer various resources and platforms to build their Mylans and TLI models. We suggest that all our listeners explore and further research the resources discussed as not all resources suit every school context. To assist you with this, we encourage Mylands Improvement teachers and our TLI colleagues to pass on our podcasts to your wider teams and use them as discussion points in your upcoming PLC, domain or staff meetings. Our podcasts are now released on Apple Podcasts. For more literacy and numeracy resources, please visit our Mylands TLI Google Drive. 
and or the Never Professional Learning website. Please also keep a lookout for the latest communities of practice, which are on the ARC department platform. We are your NEVR SAMs, and if you have something you would like to contribute to a podcast, please reach out to us. This has been It's Now or Never. Thank you.